Hi, I'm Dr. Paul Lewis Metzger and I'm the director of New Wine, New Wineskins. Welcome to New Wine Tastings, where every week we'll have an opportunity to engage people from diverse backgrounds, all in the attempt to build relational bridges through Jesus in contemporary culture. We are desirous of the opportunity to engage in deep and meaningful ways, and we're really thrilled and excited to have you with us. Hello, I'm Paul Lewis Metzger, the director of the Institute for Cultural Engagement, New Wine, New Wineskins, and thank you for joining us for another episode of New Wine Tastings. Today, we're dealing with the subject of talking to the choir, question mark, COVID restrictions at church. Uh, this is a really challenging issue for all of us who are participants in churches where there are restrictions in place, no matter where we are. My colleagues today uh, are all located in the Pacific Northwest, and, and we have different restrictions in different states. Uh, and a couple of our uh, pastoral colleagues are up in uh, the Washington State area. Others are in Oregon State. And so C.J. Young is joining us from uh, Port Orchard, uh, Washington. And Jim Sequera is joining us from Vancouver, Washington, two opposite ends of the state, so to speak, or at least three hours north uh, in the Seattle area. Tony Wynn is a pastor out in the uh, west suburbs in Oregon, as is uh, Trudy Sang in the, the western side of Portland. And uh, Robert Potter is joining us from the Gresham, Oregon, or east of Portland area. So we're kind of all over the place, if you will, but we're gonna have a very focused conversation. And uh, so uh, Tony and Trudy work <laughs> in pastoral uh, in, in uh, are pastorally uh, uh, engaged. Their vocations are pastoral work. CJ and Jim as well. And uh, Robert, Dr. Potter, is a medical doctor by trade uh, who also has worked in the area of medical ethics and psychology and religion. He has two doctorates. So he's a bit of a polymath and he also has worked at Oregon Health and Science University. But we're gonna start with Dr. Potter who's also in all of his work over the years has been a churchman and uh, a soloist and also uh, an avid participant in choirs. And I, we often talk about his love for choir work, uh, choir ministry in church. And so the governor of Washington, for example, put forth new restrictions just uh, several days ago, which has caused some angst in many Christian communities. And uh, one of those, while still affirming mask wearing and social distancing was uh, soloists could perform, but not uh, choirs and not congregational singing because of concerns about how to restrict COVID. And uh, this is causing tension uh, for many in the faith community. I'm not blaming the governor. I'm just saying that there's tension as a result of these restrictions. And so I want to start out by asking Dr. Potter some questions before I get into engaging our pastors. What is the point of requiring masks and Dr. Potter, not allowing people to sing in church as congregations or choirs. And I'm not asking you per se where you land on it, but what is the logic as such to that? Um, if you could start out with that. And then, um, as I said, you're a doctor by trade and a devoted choir member over the years. So please share the scientific issues uh, related to the ban as you understand them, and then including how it infringes, for many people at least, on one of their joys as Christians in church with group singing or choir singing. Dr. Potter? Yeah, I think one of the first things to recall is 
exactly how it is that viral transmission from one person to another occurs. It is through respiratory droplets, period. Now, it is possible for you to pick up a virus off of a handrail someplace, and if you very carefully worked it into your mouth just right, and if all the stars were just right, you might get infected. But really, you know, th those kinds of concerns are, are, are minimal, actually. The real concern are the respiratory droplets that we all produce each time we exhale, each time we speak, and particularly when we sing. I was trained uh, starting at age 14 for 15 years at the Conser Kansas City Conservatory of Music. And the whole project was to see just how much I could push out my respiratory droplets into the auditorium in which I was singing. I was always being asked, sing for the last person in the last row. Well, you know, the, probably the respiratory droplets don't go over 12 to 15 feet, but most people imagine that the respiratory droplets go out straight like a flashlight light. No, they go out straight and they go out laterally as well, at to a minimum of 12 feet. Now, each foot that you go, the amount of droplets gets a little less. So your, your risk of inhaling what we call a viral load at 12 feet from somebody is less, but it still exists. The viral load is necessary. These little pro pieces of protein, these little ribonucleic acid pieces, have to be in an adequate amount of them when you inhale that they can erode into a cell of your body, which they are after the energy that's in there. They need that energy to stay alive and to replicate. That's what they are doing. Viruses are a form of life that is seeking to nourish itself and replicate. And that's what it's doing. So the respiratory droplet is the essential factor to think about when you're thinking about the transmission of the disease. Now, we talk about distance, you know, of six feet. Well, that's not an absolute, is it? Six feet's gonna help a lot, but it doesn't stop it altogether. Then the put on the mask. Even the, the M90, which is the most efficient, will only block as much as 50% of the droplets that you exhale. Hmm. A shield in front will do a little better. However, all shields that I've seen, at least unless you're in a uh, hospital situation where the shield goes all the way around, it doesn't block that exit from the sides. So no matter how we mask in general, now there are some specific masking techniques that can pretty much stop the transmission, either exhaling it or inhaling it from some other source. But the ordinary stuff that we do only reduces, does not eliminate the transmission of the viral particles in your respiratory droplets. That seems to be a clear scientific fact, right? And, and what, I, what we have to remember is 
that all the masking that we would do, all the distancing that we would do, uh, is, is only going to reduce the possibility of infection, not eliminate it. Oh, the other factor that's being now uh, uh, pushed a little bit more is how long can you be exposed to another person? Because they're talking about no longer than 15 minutes. Have you heard that, that uh, suggestion that uh, you're going to stay under 15 minutes? Well, all you're doing there is trying to reduce the viral load to some extent. And I don't know where they dreamed up 15. That seems odd to me, but you know, somebody thought, well, gee whiz, that sounds like an easy number to remember. Why don't we say 15? We go, but um, every moment you're in front of somebody, you're getting more of a viral load. The question is, when should you stop being in front of somebody? Now, let's put you in a choir. You're standing there with, let's say, 15 to 20 people. Good, healthy choir. That, that's the size of our choirs, 20. We're standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Oh, we could spread out a little bit. Not going to do a whole lot of good, but it to, because we're going to spray everything laterally as well as right in front of us. We're also in three rows. The folks on the back row have a better chance, huh? Well, okay, a little maybe, but not a lot. But whether we're masked or not, we are exposing one another. Now, would the mask help? Yes, it would reduce the exposure to respiratory droplets. It will not eliminate it. Do we have any um, evidence of this, any empirical evidence? Yes, there's been a, at least two choir um, um, gatherings that I have seen data of that uh, and in both of them, there, I think in, in one, there were about 60 people involved, the other about 30 people involved. And out of that, uh, several people, I don't remember the exact numbers, but several people uh, became positive for COVID. So uh, we know that, that being in groups doesn't mean everybody's going to get sick or not even everybody's going to get positive, but some are. You're not going to avoid that. Okay, how about the audience? Well, that's hard to measure. In fact, nobody has, as far as I know. I've never seen any, any um, uh, data, e even in healthy people, as to how far, say, a choir of 20 people would spray respiratory droplets out in front of them. You know, I've never seen that data. Uh, what could you imagine? Well, every individual can spray it out there 6 to 12 feet. So you got that. That's for sure. Then the question is, okay, with a blast of 20 people, does that mean it's going to go further? Well, not necessarily. And also you've got the question of ventilation, you know, is the ventilation blowing it all back in there? Is it all blowing it sideways? Or is it all blowing it out into the audience? You know, you got to know where, where your ventilation is going if you're going to depend on ventilation. Those factors have not been, as far as I know, ever adequately traced to see what the um, respiratory droplet distribution is from a choir into an audience. But we're imagining, you know, we're extrapolating from what we do know is that there will be some distribution of respiratory droplets. And if some of those respiratory droplets have COVID in them, some respiratory droplets will be distributed to an audience 
Some people will inhale them. The unanswered question is this. Will those who inhale that smaller number, let's say a, a reduced number of COVID, be infected? Remember, you have to have a viral load. We don't really know what that viral load is. Even Dr. Fauci, if he makes it up, he, he, he's imagining. I, I would trust his imagination, by the way. But, I, you know, but um, you know, exactly how many droplets have to get into your lungs is, is, of course, impossible to determine because each of us could be infected with fewer than the guy next to us. You know, there's a whole lot of factors about our, our, our innate capacity to resist infection of any sort that figures into this. A whole gob of things. What we know is this, people. We all have seen it. When humans congregate, COVID spreads, period. You can reduce the spread, but when humans congregate, COVID spreads. And to me, that's the bottom line that says to me and my wife, both uh, faithful church folks for all of our lives, we're not coming back to congregational meetings, singing or not, mask or not, for quite a while. I think not until we are adequately immunized. Or even beyond that, until the community is adequately immunized. What a terrible, terrible problem. Since being in the community, being gathered in the body of Christ has been the great joy, the inspiration of ours, the source of our energy. You know, and that, that's hard to give that up, but I think that's where we are. Now, that was a lengthy answer to the question, but, what, but just in summary, respiratory droplets is the way COVID is spread. Singing in any form accentuates respiratory droplet distribution. Masking will help, but not eliminate COVID distribution. Therefore, if you're going to be safe, do not sing. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Robert, for your uh, summary, uh, your detailed analysis, the, the clarity with which you engage the subject. Uh, and what you said about choirs would also pertain to congregation singing without a choir. I mean, it's the same type of dynamic in parallel. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I really I failed to touch that. You're exactly right, uh, Paul, exactly right. And, and so, um, you know, there was a lot of precision and also uh, an acknowledgement that even those in the medical domain who are experts like Dr. Fauci is having to use his imagination at points. And now some, some might hear that and think, see, it's just, he's just shooting from the hip. No, he's doing it based on being an expert in this domain. And he is willing to admit, I've seen him, I've heard oh, yeah. him say, look, I don't know the answer at this point. He'll acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. My opinion, my medical opinion, not any opinion, but my medical opinion would be this. That's his imagination, but it's framed by way of his expertise and his experience, just like you are. And Regardless of where people stand on the subject, even after hearing what you're saying, some might not be convinced based on their level of uh, respect for science or because of what they've heard at different points. They hear different things at different times. They think it's just all, you know, mumbled. Well, no, we're trying to figure out 
everyone, including the scientific community, what is this COVID? It, they're learning as it goes because this, at least this strand hasn't been around like this. And so it takes a lot of time to figure out how it works, how it mutates, how it continues to be creative itself, right? And so, uh, Robert, is that all accurate? That, you know, it's... Think of the virus as a creative life force. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, and so it, and we're trying to figure out, the scientific community is trying to figure out, and the governor, regardless of whether you voted for Governor Inslee or not, he and his team, drawing from all kinds of domains, is trying, I believe, to be wise and also sober-minded, and also with that, just respectful of the dangers posed. He said in his statement, I'm especially concerned for those faith communities, minority communities, uh, but all communities, but especially minority communities where they need to come together and sing because it keeps them going. I think it keeps all of us going. Absolutely. Uh, and I think he's not trying to demean that. He's just no, saying no. for now, for the sake of this. So I'm not taking away people's views or convictions, those who will watch this. And CJ and Jim, you're pastoring in Washington state and no doubt whether it's with fellow pastors, members of your congregation, congregations, you're having to navigate different convictions. We've heard from Dr. Potter, it's astute reflection, but not everyone's going to affirm what he says. You know, they're, they're just not. They're gonna hear it and say, well, I respect him. I respect him as a medical doctor and an ethicist, but I think there are other things. Okay. Dr. Potter also modeled empathy, and he himself needs to sing. I mean, if you've ever been with Dr. Potter for a period of time, even when he teaches, he always really um, draws from his diaphragm. He, he's very careful in his teaching. He's very poised in drawing from this. It, it shows up in his teaching. He cares about singing a lot in public singing. He loves it. But CJ and Jim, why don't you share about some of your struggles? But Dr. Potter also shared empathy, too. It's like, I long for this. People long for this. I get that. How are you navigating these challenges in your congregations where you have people probably on both sides of the spectrum or many sides of whatever spectrum there is on uh, CJ and then Jim? Um, I think the answer that I got to explain a little bit about where I'm, where I come from, because when you say Seattle area, I think people picture something in their minds and I want to make we sure. We see that the tattoos too. We, we see the tattoos and we think. I'm trying to be a Seattleite. So I'm trying to be hip and cool. It's just not, we're a, uh, most people who go uh, to our church and, and live in Port Orchard uh, would say we live across the water from Seattle, uh, where it influences us, but it's not, we're not Seattle. Um, it's, we have a, a blue collar town. Most of our, our congregation is made up of teachers and educators and uh, shipyard workers. That's probably the primary, primarily, and then support entities like, you know, we have medical doctors and, and, and physical therapists and all of that, that, that support those industries primarily. And so, um, as far as uh, red and blue, we have probably have honestly a 50-50 split on people. And we would like, while I would like to say um, this conversation is strictly a medical one, it's, it's just not. It's uh, not in my community at all. It's, it's become a, a uh, political conversation. It's become a question about who do we trust and why do we trust them? It's become a, I mean, at this point in the game, what are we, nine months in, somewhere in there? Um, uh, we're at the point where uh, emotions are, um, those struggling are struggling a lot. And um, so there's an emotional component as well. So decisions made uh, in, in, our, in our local community, we, when we had this conversation, this was for a lot of people, the straw, you know? Um, 
our staff met last week when we got the, the requirements and had a, a, a nice heated conversation, a passionate, passionate conversation, that's better, about it. And just to own where we're all at, um, not one person isn't, isn't impacted this in one way or another. Um, and having to navigate, uh, I mean, the question, one of the questions was asked, uh, where's the line? Where does the church stand up for uh, its religious freedoms and that? And that was uh, a question people were asking. And, and because of people's emotional and political and I don't really call it medical trustings, I guess, because, you know, everyone seems to have their own medical uh, backing to some degree, whether it's valid or not. But uh, they, they have it and then they have, they have a biblical standpoint. It's difficult, I think, because it's all it's becoming conflated. It's difficult to look at the scriptures for, for a lot of people and those in leadership as well. I think it's naive of us to say that those in leadership are able to put all that stuff aside. It's, um, it's not a reality. My wife is heartbroken about Thanksgiving and she's a big family person. I'm a total introvert and I'd be down, <laughs> but uh, she's she's struggling. She's really having a hard time. And my own parents live in town and we would love to have them over and, and we can't, you know, and, and, that, and it's hard for, I'm not trying to say my, my life is more difficult than others. I'm just saying, I understand that this is a very real thing. Um, so having to have that conversation about where that line is and trying to keep a biblical perspective in an emotionally, politically charged uh, arena is extremely difficult. And uh, our churches, you know, we, we are following the guidelines. Um, there are many churches in my area that are not. And we have, um, I have congregants I've met with this week that have um, told me that they're gonna attend a different church for a while that is not obeying the, these restrictions. Um, we've been attacked for not having faith for, um, well, we were accused of being a faithless community by someone um, uh, and, and things like that. So it's a, just a difficult, tough scenario and, um, you know, if I, we, you say that not trusting science, the hard part, when I was listening to Dr. Potter, I totally appreciate and respect his opinions. The hard part that I have to navigate as a pastor in my community is that um, he comes to, and, and I do, we actually come to very similar conclusions that he does actually, and so it's great to hear, uh, but others um, don't come to the same conclusions. That the I don't know or we don't know becomes a a liberty standpoint. And since we don't know, then I can come to a different conclusion or they would come to a different conclusion. And, and to some people, they would say that's a more faithful conclusion. Um, and, and that's a tough, tough road to hoe. And it's, it's just really hard. And um, some people are really angry and really hurt, but it's coming from a place of honestly, I mean, I don't think it's anyone hateful or evil. It's, it's people who are, I, I'm not a music person. I'm not a singer. Um, but I, I do sing in church and I value corporate worship. Um, and that has become very hard for a lot of people that we've asked our, we normally have like a choir up front that's several people. We have, we'll have 15, 20 people on the stage at a time singing. And now we have two, you know, a pianist and a singer. Um, uh, if, the, if a speaker goes on stage, one of them has to get down, you know, and, that, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying everyone's feeling increasingly disenfranchised and from this and it, it, it's hurting. And again, I'm not trying to say it's, it's it, the anger is a response. It's not a, um, I don't want to say not well thought out, but I'm just going to say it doesn't have to have a well thought out reason for it. It's a hurt and it's a response. And so in our community, it's hard and to be sensitive to that and to own it. Um, we've been encouraging people to consider different ways of worship. We had some time where we said reflective on the, reflect on the, on the words that are there. Um, we actually had a really cool thing happen Sunday. Um, so we told them uh, about how we're following the guidelines and everything. And that, that was our expectation uh, from the front. And then, um, what happened is during this song, one of the songs we had a singer, a masked singer up there on, on it by herself, um, 
we, I go to a Presbyterian church. We're sometimes called the frozen chosen. So like, you know, we hands in our pockets, there's no hand raising, man. And it'll be, everyone looks at you if you do that and clapping doesn't happen. And, but there's clapping started breaking out in the group and Dr. Potter, is that okay? Are we allowed to clap? Okay, okay clapping's cool, cool. I don't wanna get us in trouble, but they started clapping and they clapped in time. Like it was, it wasn't like, you know, it was great. And so to see them worshiping, uh, lots of hands raised. Um, we had lots of different people coming up to share at different times, you know, all by themselves and following guidelines and stuff. But it just became a really worshipful experience for people. So what started as an opportunity or like a, a, it felt like a huge burden. And um, we had people just depressed and sad and heartbroken. Uh, it turned into a really worshipful experience. Did it look like other services? Not at all. But um, I think that it was cool for everyone to see that we can still worship and to see, I mean, honestly, for me, seeing the Frozen Chosen break out in song. And we actually had some people swaying. It's almost dancing. I mean, I, I, oh, 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 no. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, but uh, that's, that's where we're at. It was really cool. It was neat to see our worshiping community worship their, their God and love their neighbors well by choosing not to sing. So, um, but again, it's, we've been contacting every person that's lodged a complaint, every person that's been hurting, every person that's expressed their frustration because every individual matters. Um, which I'll, I'll wrap up and say, for me, I think it's a very, it's a good turn for the church to make because it could, before all of this, we were very programmatic. Like churches can be very programmatic in nature and, and systems. And uh, now we're very people oriented and not just people groups, but people individual this person is hurting this way. How can we love this person well? And I think this is a great sifting for the church. It's hard. No one wants it. Um, but at the same time, I'm seeing God work in amazing ways through it. And individuals, I hope, are feeling loved by their community of faith, not just by, um, because they're able to participate in worship, but they're able to be loved for the individual that they are in the place that they are. And so I'm hopeful. Dr. Potter? Well, Paul, I'd like to make a comment about those who about those who feel like um, they could probably get by with meeting. Mm -hmm. Here's the statistical probability. Any one of us could probably get by with meeting and nobody dies that we know. Mm -hmm. When somebody from a congregation does die, it wakes you up. A, per, a man from our congregation, age 65, funeral director, died. Got sick, went in, two days on the ventilator, dead. It gets your attention. But here's the problem. Statistically, you're going to be all right. But somebody will die. Because people are dying every day. So what you are doing is you're saying, I'm willing to take risk and and i just I just have to rem i think it's worth reminding ourselves and anyone we talk to that that's what we're doing we're accepting risk and um it's true enough some people accept risks better than others but but the probabilities are see see that they're meeting they've been meeting for six months there isn't a single covid case in their whole congregation right statistically that's probably what's going to happen but somebody will get sick and die. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Uh, sobering uh, reality. And we have to account for all the variables. And uh, 
Jim, you know, you're trying to account for all the variables as well as a pastor in Vancouver, Washington, and in, you're part of a denomination, CJ's Presbyterian, your Evangelical Covenant. You're probably talking to others in your district or in the conference and different domains, different, you know, uh, subcultures, different geographical locations. I'm sure pastors are really struggling on how to navigate that, just like the congregants. So what are you experiencing? How do you engage like what CJ was sharing? How would you respond? You know, and I would, I would preface it by saying this, for me, um, being Native Hawaiian, being Indigenous, the need for gathering is like, it's really in our DNA. I mean, you know, for us to gather in as Ohana as a group, I mean, that's part of our culture. And so, you know, this whole process is, is, has been a very big challenge, has been very difficult. Um, and so, you know, as, as well as church. And so for me, you know, I would say that uh, not gathering has been a very, very big challenge. Um, very, very difficult, but we have decided not to gather. And, and, the re and let, me get, let me back up addressing just about the, um, our Evangelical Covenant Church denomination. They've been very supportive of whatever people have decided, and it's been across the board. There have been pastors and friends um, that felt like, you know, they, you know, it's not safe to, to reopen yet um, in other states, but their congregants are saying, no, we have to open and we're going to leave if you don't open. So there's, you know, there's those kind of dynamics and challenges. Um, there's a, a covenant church on the East Coast that have just deci um, decided a while back when this started, we're not even going to open until next fall. And so there, there's a lot of space and a lot of discussion going on. And so even for myself, um, we have a cohort, of, a multi-ethnic cohort of, of covenant pastors in our area in Portland. Um, and we're pretty much, you know, um, being able to share a lot of things, but you know, we've pretty much decided to, um, at this point, um, we're all deciding to just uh, Zoom, um, you know, not reopen yet. And so, and again, you know, we talk about it being very difficult, um, very challenging, but we just feel um, that, you know, at least personally, for me, it's, it's just not time. Um, and probably the thing that's navigated, it's been navigating for me is this idea of the least, um, the least the last and the vulnerable. And, um, and it's about protecting people. It's about protecting safety. And I know there's a lot of opinions, um, but I, you know, it, we don't know who or we're, this, this COVID thing is just so uncertain. Um, but it really is about just for me, it's just about protecting the congregation. Um, for me, Jesus says, um, you know, feed my sheep. <laughs> you know, feed my sheep. He doesn't tell me to, you know, fill my church. He says, feed my sheep. As hard as and as challenging as it is, um, I think God's allowing us opportunities through technology and things like that to feed our sheep. Um, our congregate, our leadership met um, a few weeks ago because um, in August we had uh, thinking that things might be beginning to open up. In August we got together and targeted November to, for as the reopening. We thought let's get some things in place because there's so many protocols. We want to get some of those protocols in place, and then a few weeks before November we realized that we're not going to reopen. So we had a hard conversation and the heart of my, the heart of my leadership was, yeah, let's, you know, I'll, let's open, let's go for it. But when we got down to the, the, the harder discussion, it really boiled down and everybody shared this heart. And I think um, Dr. Potter brought this up. We don't want to be the church that loses somebody. We don't want to be the church that loses somebody. And, and I'll even say this. Um, my mom was in, my mom's been in a, in a memory care, was in a memory care center um, for several years. They locked down in March. Um, somehow somebody brought, you know, the virus in, one of the workers tested positive in, in June, June, my mom, um, was moved to Tiger because that's where they're holding the COVID patients. And four days later, she passed away. 
and the and the things that we went through. Uh, we couldn't see her. We hadn't seen her since March. Um, my my daughter, she drove. She parked in the parking lot of the facility, the care facility my mom was at. Um, and she she had a picture. She goes, Dad, I'm here. We're two, Tutu. We call grandmothers Tutu in Hawaii. She says, Dad, I'm here at Tutu's place. Uh, my mom was kind of her room was in the center, so we couldn't see, see her from the window. So my daughter um, FaceTimed my son, uh, myself, and my daughter, and we prayed for my mom. Um, we cried, um, and the next morning we got word that she passed away. And so to have to deal with the grief, and then also we, we have not planned her, her service yet because we want family Ohana from Hawaii to come. And so, you know, from a personal experience, um, I, don't, I don't want to see you know, one of my congregants have to go through that. And I think like, like Dr. Potter says, you know what, the chances are great that, you know, nobody will go through it in our church. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, if it's my church. And so those, those are the type of things that I think that's driving me. I think the bottom line that's driving us and, and just um, is that they are the least, um, the vulnerable and the last. And, you know, and I know some people have said, well, you know, your mom passed away because she had these conditions and, you know, all those things. You know what? My mom passed away. She passed away. It doesn't matter whether she had these conditions. And there's a lot of people that have these conditions that are walking around. And so um, for me, that's, that's really the bottom line is just, is just the caring of the people. Um, this past Sunday, I, um, I, we're using the lectionary. So we got to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7. Um, Jeremiah is standing in front of the temple as people are coming to worship. And he's like, okay, you know what? Um, God can't be fooled. Make sure you guys are taking care of business. Make sure your relationship with him is right. And, and so he's warning all these people as they're coming in. And then he brings, he makes this interesting comment. He just, he says, um, the temple, the temple, the temple, as if the temple is, the, is that magic place, is that safe place, as if that, it's that place that we have to be at. And Jeremiah warns the people, it's not about the temple. You know, um, and, and the people have the mind, in their mind, you know, as we know that, that if, if the temple was present, God was present, right? He's going to keep us protected. He's in the area. Um, but Jeremiah says, you know what? The temple really, it, it matters to God, to Yahweh, but you matter to Yahweh more. It's the relationship. And, um, and I even, you know, as, as he kind of continues on, Jeremiah says, you know, when the relationship, when things started falling apart between you and Yahweh, you know, he even got rid of the tabernacle. He even allowed the tabernacle in Shiloh to get shut down. And so, you know, to me, again, it's just, it's that foundation that, that it's about relationships. It's about relationships. As much as I love the church, as much as I love it as a gathering place for me at this point, um, the relationships matter and caring for people and, um, and just loving on them. And not that nobody else is doing it. That, that's just me. I mean, I just, I'm just saying that's, that's my convictions. That's where my heart is. And so, you know what? It is a tough discussion. It, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. And, and trying to not, you know, for me, as part of it is as, as other brothers and sisters share totally different views, I, it's trying to build bridges. It's like what we tried to do with, you know, with um, new, uh, new wine, new wineskins. It's about building bridges. So I don't want to, to destroy bridges. So it's navigating, um, it's navigating what, what I believe in closing our church or, or doing it on Zoom at this point um, to what other people are desiring. So how do we navigate and keep the bridges built? So I think that's an important discussion for me. Again, it's relationships. It's, it's the relationships with brothers and sisters that don't share the same view as I do, but it's about the relationship of the people that God has placed in my care to my, you know, for me to shepherd. And this is, this is what motivates me. This is what drives me. This is what has allowed me to make my decision 
as far as this is how we'll pastor. Um, and our, our leadership is on board. I appreciate very much the open posture uh, because it's about, you know, how do we make sure we're accounting for everyone in our congregation, congregations, and people of different perspectives too. It's, uh, I, I just sense that bridge building DNA uh, in you, Jim, and you know that you bring Spam Musabi like you do to New Wine Advisory Council meetings. You're probably bringing that into your discussions as well. And uh, I always appreciate that. Um, but again, my, my heart goes out to you with the loss of your mother. Um, as you know, my mom uh, also passed away uh, right before the COVID uh, restrictions came into play. And she, was, she didn't die because of COVID, but the, the hospital where she was in at the time was where the first COVID patients in Illinois were. And uh, so that occurred around that same time, but we were able to be there for her memorial service just before the restrictions hit. And I can't imagine what it's like for people, yourself included, not to have that closure. We were able to have that, even though there's never a closure, you still miss a loved one, but it's, it's heavy for all of us. We're all in this together. And I think we need to make sure we stay in it together. And I appreciate uh, what you and CJ and of course, Robert has shared. Now, Trudy and Tony, you're also pastors. You're pastoring in Oregon and uh, you're working in spiritual formation, worship leading in different capacities. And you're trying to provide pastoral care, no doubt in your own congregations, there are tension points related to how these determinations are coming from state officials and all on, you know, and everything else that goes on with it. How are you seeking to provide pastoral care and build, building bridges and engaging each person in the midst of it all, Trudy and Tony, as pastors in your own context? You'll have to unmute. Trudy and then Tony, please. Okay, um, we're at, our restrictions were a little more flexible than maybe the Washington ones, where we were able to, in this in the um, the summer we actually got transmitters, so we were doing drive-in church. Um, so people stayed in their cars, and um, it was fabulous. And a lot of people that weren't able to to you know at least wave from a car and it provided a connection. When we moved inside, we only moved inside for a little bit. Um, we lost some people because of that, um, that couldn't come in, but, um, and we did have followed all the restrictions and spacing, and, but we dedicated one of our large spaces to no singing and it was live streamed into that room. So some of the people that didn't wanna be in that environment where you know people even with masks on there was singing happening um but that then we went down to the next freeze and so then we went back online again totally but i want to say the posture that we've tried to say about the online option is that it's a valued option and so the posture of that is you know, we're in a, a situation where we are merged with uh, two other churches. So we have three campuses, but we say we have four. 
because we say the online the online presence is a campus in itself. Mm. So it values it so that people don't feel like they're being shortchanged. Mm -hmm. um, and that we're trying to make those an intentional um, contact points. We have people that uh, provide hosting to those people that are online. Um, and then we encourage them to connect with, um, with us here at each campus to continue conversations, to pray for them. Um, we also are trying to really uh, lean into our small group establishing. So that way also you're developing more of that contact. And most of all of our, I mean, during the summer, there was some outside contact, you know, gathering of small groups. Now it's a lot of it's done on Zoom. And um, we did a very intensive discipleship. My husband and I did a discipleship program for the last, um, this um, fall season. And we did it with 12 people and these, and it was done on Zoom and it was so powerful. And, it, and sometimes I feel like we get this thing of this kind of technology as being impersonal. But I saw people really open up and share authentic concerns and prayers for each other, affirmations. I might tell you that the most of these people that were in this group joined our church this past summer um, and um, they hadn't seen the inside building for the longest time. At one time, somebody came by and said, can we just take a tour to see what it looks like? And we had to laugh, you know, the, and there, the other piece is worship, beyond singing also worship in service and um we've provided some very safe ways to to serve the community so some of it is done by just um connecting with the with the school um our local school and how can we get supplies and and in one case it was just delivering cookies to the teachers to say hey we're thinking of you we know this is hard um, and we're doing boxes of hope right now where we're, you know, and all of our meetings with the school district and the and other churches and community is done on Zoom and we're doing it safely. But when you give people purpose to be able to do things, even if they're ordering some stuff to be delivered to their house to just get to the church, to get to the students that are either um, uh, having food insecurities or they're not able to sustain because of furloughed and all sorts of at-risk situations, people feel so thankful that they can express their love to God by serving and caring for others. And giving those outlets has brought some health to the, to the community. Um, our campus, LEAD campus, also provides daily devos, which are just like three-minute devos that people can listen to. We have a another one that's called, um, uh, uh, oh, I forget, but it's, it's, it's looking at some of the mental health concerns. And that really got brought up at the very beginning because they were talking to counselors because we knew that people were going to be dealing with isolation. And um, then we do this kind of crazy thing where we do bag deliveries to the families and to the and to the congregants and sometimes it's providing communion um, other things but it's that tangible safe con you know no contact hook it on the door it's create it's really forcing us to be creative and it's not to say 
and I so resonate with um, with you, Jim, and with Paul. It, you know, going. I think the hardest one is dealing with grief. Um, that's been the hardest one, and I've journeyed with some people that have had to deal with that. But I also had to deal with it because I lost my sister during the the whole shutdown, and um, it was not COVID related, but you know, that where you can't get in to see, and then having to figure out ways to process the grief. Um, you know, and we're just, we've just had to really um, frame that in different ways to, and each family has had to make decisions. But that one's probably the hardest one, but it's, I'm thankful that I'm able to journey with some of these people that are going through these hard times because we have that shared experience and um, it isn't easy. But the thing, the, and I'll end with this, but the bottom line is that even though this has been challenging, it has been difficult and, and I'm on calls for, this, for the city as well as Washington County and you hear of the challenges that are so real. But then when we see what God's doing in our church and through the people and through the individuals and the depth of growth, it just tells me, yeah, this is not ideal. This whole thing is kind of, it, you know, it's, it's stressful, but God's not stopped. He's pushing through all of this. And sometimes in some ways, like it's bringing more depth to the conversation and more growth to the conversation where you're really leaning into your relationship with God. Yeah, thank you, Trudy. Uh, just love the comments on being creative, uh, not to be cute or clever, but to be creative, to build those relational connections. Uh, yeah, it's a challenge, it's a big challenge, but you're looking for opportunities in the, met, in the midst of a less than ideal situation, which, God has a way of thriving in, in the less than ideal. I wouldn't see, say Jesus entered into an ideal world in an ideal scenario. Uh, and I think that you're being very attentive to it. You know, CJ was saying, this could give us a new opportunity to engage and something can come out of it that could be really impactful is what I heard from CJ and for Jim, just that matter of in the midst of it all, the bottom line and the thread that must connect matters is that relational connection, even with those we disagree with. And to have empathy, as Robert was talking about, and Robert's big on the need for empathy. He has a good bedside manner as a medical doctor and in his work in social psychology, empathy is a key part. Tony, you're having to navigate this as well as a pastor. Um, in, in your context and provide spiritual care. Similar to the question I asked Trudy, how would you respond? Again, Trudy, my heart goes out to you with the loss of your mom or your sister, loss of your sister, Jim, with his loss of his mother, CJ's faced health challenges. And Tony, you have an, uh, a mother who's uh, older and you're having to address those concerns too for her. So your thoughts, Tony. No, thank you. I, I would say, as a pastor in this moment, uh, I am so grateful for the faithfulness of um, my congregation in the way that they're faithfully continuing to give financially to the church so that I have a livelihood. So I can never 
um, fully express my gratitude for um, my congregation, even if uh, we disagree regarding COVID uh, and, and politics and the like. Um, I will say as, as someone who is younger and someone who has really just only begun in pastoral ministry, um, there was recently a statistic that was released that during this COVID season, 70% of pastors have either um, entertained the thought of leaving ministry and, and switching to a different career or vocation or have begun the process of exiting ministry. And so I think as a younger pastor, I'm staggered by that statistic as someone who's just entered ministry proper. Um, and and it, it floors me. And, and so I look at the points of tension and intersection between uh, race, between politics and COVID and everything seems to be heightened and elevated. And I, I find that in, in my navigating uh, the, the call to, to shepherd well, I find it tenuous because I'm finding that in some ways uh, I am not meeting the needs uh, of my congregation as they have expressed it. That as a pastor, in some ways, I am failing to, uh, to feed them the way that they're ask, asking to be fed. And so I think that weighs heavily on my conscience. Mm -hmm. Then when I look at, um, in my relationships and in my engagements with millennials and, and Gen Zers, what I am finding, it, and I may be brash in saying this, but what I'm finding is they're making the thing the thing. Not to say that my older congregation members aren't making the thing the thing, um, but where I am inspired and convicted and moved by my younger brothers and sisters is this, that they are for the person. Um, and they, they understand that man, it would be great to gather in person. It would be great to see your friend and see uh, a family member to, to be able to touch and, and hold and laugh together. But for them, um, it's out of a, a duty and an obligation to value the sacredness of life that they understand this momentary and temporary pain and suffering leads to the protection of someone else's life. And for them, uh, their willingness to endure and suffer inspires me and gives me strength to endure this momentary and temporary suffering. But what I am finding tenuous about navigating uh, the pastoral, this pastoral moment is, is I'm afraid uh, of pastors being cavalier uh, in the name of religious liberty and not biblical fidelity and theological fidelity. We are being cavalier in this moment saying, charge this hill of uh, our religious rights being infringed upon. And so as, as a younger pastor, I, I sit here um, so grateful for, for Jim and CJ's and Trudy's leadership at the forefront, at the vanguard. <laughs> I am so grateful for Dr. Potter's insightful and robust uh, synthesis of the medical literature and scientific literature. And I, I'm so grateful for you, Dr. Metzger, in your uh, leadership in, in bringing together a, a diversity of voices to contribute to 
Christ's body in this moment. But yeah, as a younger pastor, I sit here and I am encouraged by the younger people coming up uh, behind me, knowing that, man, the future of the church is safe in their hands. But then I also sit here in, in anxiousness because, to, to be frank, yeah, the, the cavalier uh, attitude of some pastors uh, ahead of me. And, and so I, as far as navigation, I don't know how to navigate this tenuous moment, but I do know that, that God has, has entrusted me with, with a younger generation that is zealous for relationship, that is full of fervor for the human life. And so I'm, I'm not concerned about the up and coming generation. I am, if anything, so uh, encouraged and steadfastly resolute to their flourishing because of the leadership that they've shown me. And so that's where I'm finding myself in navigating this current moment. Thank you, Tony. Uh, just, I appreciate several things that you've said. One, the matter of your own sense of struggle, like not feeling up to the challenge. I think anyone who feels up to the challenge in ministry is not truly being honest or aware enough because you know, as Paul said, you know, Christ is our adequacy. We're inadequate apart from him. We should always feel that even in our best of times. And I loved how you were just leaning into it. I don't feel adequate, but also seeing others who are just really inspiring you, even those entrusted to your care. I love that. And then also that you are looking for us not to be cavalier. Uh, that is something, you know, even as a theologian, you know, I have to be very careful and I try my best as I, as I grow to try and make sure in a classroom setting, while I can get prophetic in terms of whatever it is my conviction is, I hope that I am creating an open space for people who even disagree with me to share their thoughts, that I'm not cavalier, that they're not cavalier, but there's a safety. Um, I hope to generate that. I certainly hold the strong convictions. You know, I think with Governor Inslee, you know, he said, I'm concerned for especially minority communities who need to sing. All of us need to sing in, in church if we're part of the church. We need to sing. He said, I'm especially concerned for those who have felt, um, or not just felt, but have experienced um, injustice. And they need that community engagement to sing that's healing to their souls. Jim had said that people are often in minority communities are the ones who are most vulnerable. Lack of adequate access to education or not education in this case but uh healthcare uh inadequate attention and i'm so grateful that president trump had state-of-the-art medicine that he could go to uh at the hospital a lot of people don't have that when they're dealing with with covid we don't have an equitable setting and that's not to take shots at our system it's just trying to deal with the reality so we have that to deal with um, our freedoms matter. And in the Bible, certainly freedom, personal freedom matters. Uh, freedom in Christ, though, Paul had freedom in Christ even when he was in a prison cell. Uh, and he said, I'm an ambassador in chains. And the gospel is not enslaved. I may be in chains, but the gospel is never a chain. One thing I just have to say, and I'd open it up for a discussion in a future episode with people. 
When I think of civil disobedience, and behind me is Dr. King, um, whose letter from Birmingham jail just strikes at my heart. And here he was talking about civil disobedience. And he said, um, yeah, I'm in jail here in Birmingham because of civil disobedience, nonviolent civil disobedience. And he said, you know, I quote from Augustine, for Augustine, it was the case that, you know, an unjust law we should not follow. An unjust law we should not follow. And people will engage, you know, how the Lord disobeyed laws, which he did. You know, he, he broke the Sabbath law. He broke the Sabbath law to heal people, is what he did. Um, I just have to say, and it's not because I'm trying to have the last word, it's just that I want us to be thinking. It's more an open question to pastors and others. When Jesus broke the law, it was to heal. When the apostles broke the law, and it caused for disturbance, Acts 3, 4, 5, it was to heal a lame beggar. It was to heal a lame man. So when we break the government's laws, is it to heal? Dr. King was breaking a law so that people could be included who are all often, if not always, on the outside looking in, in this case, ethnic minority communities. The most vulnerable populations, what's happening for them when we break the law that I believe was a law that the government put in place here, the governor of Washington, to put in place in order to safeguard against people becoming sick. I think it's a very different context of civil disobedience with what Jesus is about and what I hear pastors calling for today. Now, I'm willing to admit, I may be wrong at points. I'm willing to admit that I could be wrong here. I don't think I am. Why would I hold a view that I, th I think I'm wrong on? But I might be wrong. I hope that I'm always open to being corrected. And I hope that we're willing to engage even Dr. King, for example, on his storied approach to civil disobedience, nonviolent. What are we willing to break the law for? And can we be creative when we have these restrictions, like Paul was often having to be creative to use those restrictions for the freedom of the gospel. So here he is in Philippi, or writing to the, the church of Philippi from a house arrest in Rome. And he said, you know, oh, by the way, the members of Caesar's household send you greetings at the end of the letter. Somehow or another, his house arrest is being used of God to reach not only the Praetorian Guard, but also Caesar's household for Christ. How can we use this creative moment, creative moment, resilient moment for greater impact for the gospel? I say that as I hand it over to my colleagues here to have the last word for this discussion. What is the final word you would wish to say to our viewers? And let's strike the chord of inquisitiveness and empathy and keep the conversation open, as Jim said, whether with Spam Musabi or not, to keep the relationships open in the midst of strong differences, biblically, theologically, culturally, scientifically, et cetera, as we deal with all these complexities. So each one of you, Robert, CJ, Jim, Trudy, and Tony, just in the order we went, and then I'll close after Tony shares. One moment, one minute each, please. Robert? My reflection is, um, is so deeply um, convoluted now by what everybody has said. This has been a remarkable conversation for me. 
I think that what it is asking me to do, and therefore I would suggest the rest of us do, that we go into a stage of critical self-reflection and uh, recognize that we have with, within us the kind of resources in our Christian faith that allow us to be creative in all kinds of crisis. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. CJ. I was just going to say that um, I, I, I echo the creativity aspect. Our church, too, has four campuses. We have an outdoor service that everyone sits in their cars and they honk, and that's held at the same time as a, a limited, very limited indoor service. And then we have a, a streamed on the other end of another building. And then we have our at-home campus as well. And so being creative is a, a super important part. But I think for the conversation aspect, both between churches, between pastors, between pastors and congregants, between congregants, I think um, what Paul is speaking about or earlier was this uh, this position of humility, this desire to, to, to that we might not have it right and we're navigating waters that are really difficult. Um, Tony, if we sounded like we knew what we're doing, dude, I'm sorry, I misled you because <laughs> we are doing the best we can and uh, we're making a lot of errors. And uh, so I, I ask often for, for my congregation that, for grace and uh, for prayer, because we're seeking to do the right thing in a situation that's unprecedented and, and difficult to navigate. Uh, how do we love well every person in our diverse congregations? Um, it's a tough task, um, but I think, just like Tony said, I'm excited about the future. And uh, I think that uh, uh, God has created us for such a time as this. So uh, I'm excited to see what he may do. So mm. let's stay humble and let's keep the conversation going. Let's extend grace as we've been extended grace. So thank you, CJ. Jim. Uh, while I look forward greatly to the regathering as we can, uh, you know, come to church together uh, down the road, we can reopen safely and, and all, you know, I am just amazed by um, the avenues of being able to reach people that I would never would have thought of if this never happened. Um, mm. Kind of being an old fart, um, I, man, I'm learning a lot about Zoom and being able to, you know, yeah, Tony. Yeah, that's me. You know, but it's, it's really challenged me to be able to, you know, to reach out in other ways that I never would have. And so this is really an exciting time. Um, you know, and I think the word is this, you know, for indigenous people, we we're willing to live in mystery. We're willing to live with uncertainty. Um, as my, as my ancestors sailed the, the oceans, as they sailed, I mean, these long distances, the winds changed and they learned how to adjust as the wind changed and the winds are constantly changing. And so I think as we continue to move on to, you know, Paul, what you were saying, but really what everybody was saying, I think um, one is to recognize the complexity of all this is that um, there are really no clear answers. There's just a lot of questions. So I think the complexity um, and I think um, being teachable, being teachable that when we hear other people and what they're sharing, we, we take that into account and not only just try to defend our point of view, but I think the bottom line for me is just being able to respect one another. I mean, if people decide that they're going to go to church and open up the doors, I, to I, you know, I might totally disagree, but I'm respectful of that. And I can be respectful of what, you know, what they do. So I think, you know, I would like to see us being respectful of one another's conversations um, and that uh, we can also be, you know, open to learning. Thank you, Jim. Trudy? I think I resonate with all that you've just shared, but I think the one thing is that rather than dwell on what we don't have, to focus on what we do have. And, you know, and understanding that God's bigger than all of this and that it's not impossible. And there has been opportunities where I've been able to walk alongside people, even in Zoom, um, 
in really significant ways and seeing God molding and working in people's lives. And I work with a lot of the disability population. And what we're finding is that Zoom is actually the outlet that we've needed for a while to support some of these isolated families that can't get out even when it was pre-COVID, that now we're able to connect in ways and advocate in ways and support in ways that maybe, I don't anticipate going away when we're able to open up again. I think we're seeing that um, pushing into that relationship is not limited to only face-to-face. -face. There's lots of ways that, I mean, it's through the New Testament and we can bring it to today and to not be discouraged and to encourage the creativity, to encourage thinking outside the box um, as valued. And we're seeing that the community is being touched in ways that God is at work, and we're encouraged by that. Thank you, Trudy. And Tony? Uh, I am holding to the words of 1 Peter, where it says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so that, I feel, is my charge during this COVID and creative movement. Well put. And it's great to end on a biblical note that is rather all-encompassing as a statement, isn't it? Uh, and thank you, Tony and Trudy and Jim and CJ and Robert. I've just, I've really been impacted by this discussion. It's been very rich. And I, I hope people, no matter where we stand uh, on this issue, will find this catalytic for future exploration, further exploration in their own journey as we're all seeking to stay open on this and wrestle through this together. This isn't going to go away soon, but let's not go away from one another soon either. And so I want to thank all of you for watching or listening to this episode of New Wine Tastings for, uh, Dr., for Dr. Potter and Pastors Young, Sequera, Sang, and Huynh. I just want to thank you as Paul Lewis Metzger. Thank you for joining us for, for New Wine, New Wine Tastings for this episode today. Blessings to you all. Goodbye.